It came about through just routine 3 p.m. coffees with a coworker and friend. We would go down to grab a cup of coffee and we always talked about how it would have been nice, you know, with this really good quality cup of coffee to have a specific uh, Latin pastry or savory snack because it's so ingrained in our culture. And I could find nothing in Atlanta. I started making a plan once I realized there was an opportunity there. You're listening to Made Here, a podcast about what it means to be an underserved entrepreneur in America and what it takes to turn a small business idea into reality. I'm your host, Stacey Klein, GoDaddy's Head of Corporate Social Responsibility. For years, Crystal Valencia worked as an event planner for Coca-Cola. She's a proud daughter of Mexican parents who immigrated to Georgia when Crystal was just 10 months old. After a death in her family made Crystal realize the importance of time, she quit her job to finally chase after her entrepreneurial dream. Today, Crystal is the founder of Cafecito, a coffee shop that serves beverages and snacks influenced by her Mexican heritage. In this episode, Crystal talks to us about the importance of having a network of supporters and mentors. Crystal, a single mom, also shares with us the lessons in running a business that she's now able to impart to her own son. All right, so we're going to go ahead and dive on in. Um, I like to start the interviews off with one of the questions that I think is personally the hardest, which is describe entrepreneurship in one word. Yeah, that that was tough. Uh, I think the one that best suits me right now is is complex. <laughs> I think that's the word that I went with. That's a perfect word. <laughs> I think it does a good job describing just how many facets and things there are with entrepreneurship. Right. Okay. So tell me about you. Tell me about your roots. Where did you grow up? Um, so I was born in Veracruz, Mexico. It's uh, along the Gulf of Mexico. And uh, my parents brought myself and my siblings to the States when I was about 10 months old. Uh, So my upbringing, all of my childhood is actually here in Marietta, just north of Atlanta. So what was it like then growing up with immigrant parents in Georgia? Oh, man. (laughs) Uh, Growing up with immigrant parents is definitely a loaded experience. Um, I think the best way to put it is just to say it is simultaneously the most difficult and the most fulfilling experience. Um, it's just the concept of merging two cultures in one home and one experience. I always felt like life was one way at home with my parents and my family and a completely different way at school with friends and just in my day-to-day life um, at the grocery store, so on. It almost felt like two different experiences altogether. There's the part of having to grow up quickly as a child because you know you're in charge of translating for your parents because they don't speak the language, you know, whether that's at the store, at the parent-teacher conferences, or, you know, documents that they had that needed to be filled out, you know, we had to help translate those things for them. I learned how to speak up for myself very early on because I had to do it on behalf of my parents to ask questions when my parents didn't understand. So, you know, here I was, little (laughs) eight-year-old Crystal, um, asking, you know, questions about how does this work and, you know, what does that really mean? And, you know, having to translate it back into Spanish, um, it also means 
you know, in my case specifically, getting a job at 14 so that I could, you know, buy myself things and help out financially when I could, you know, but I don't want to make it seem like it's just this load that we carry. I mean, it is a weight that we carry, but when you're that young, it's really hard to understand the significance of that friction between the two cultures, you know, having parents who don't understand what my friends and I wanted to do um, at school or after school or, you know, even a simple sleepover, I wasn't allowed to do that. But, you know, those are the things that really molded me into who I am today, you know, taking the best of both of those worlds and understanding the significance and the importance of that weight that I do carry. It, it's a huge weight to prove that the sacrifice that my parents made, that decision to leave was in fact worth it, you know, to leave behind our family, our culture, and our country. So I think that's a whole lot of the reason why I loved my experience. And it's so important to me to, you know, look back on life and say, hey, it was worth it. You know, all those Christmases we spent without family or those summers that we couldn't go to see them, it was worth it in the end. That's really powerful. And I think that's something that, you know, we say frequently around America being the land of opportunity, but really, you know, it's the grit of the individual that cracks open that door. And that's just a powerful story of how you really helped make that happen for your family. Yeah. So you said that your parents were Spanish speakers. So how did you, you know, you were 10 months old when you came here. How did you learn English? Did you learn English just growing up? and Spanish? What did that look like? Yeah. So um, at home, we would speak only Spanish. We were not allowed to speak English in the house. So if we responded in English, my parents would practically ignore us and make us, you know, re-say it in Spanish. Um, so that was really helpful. And we did get to go back to Mexico for long summers since my mom was a teacher once we were older. Um, so she got summers off and we got to go back. And that was really, really helpful in keeping our Spanish. And we also attended a Spanish-speaking church but outside of those things, I can't really recall how I learned English. <laughs> I just know that I did. And I never took like an ESOL class or anything like that. I just learned it somehow. <laughs> I can't really put my finger. I don't remember not knowing English. That is impressive, though. And you think about, you know, when you're entering into a new place and you're going to a new school and learning English, it's interesting that you don't have a ton of memory of it, but I imagine it was probably a pretty important time in your life. Yeah. I mean, I assume I had to hear other people and I connected the dots and I figured it out <laughs> because, you know, by kindergarten, I was speaking English and I had no need for an additional class. So so you talked about how you had to grow up quickly. You had to play a role so that you could translate for your family and help them with the things that they needed and that you had your first job at 14. So talk to me a little bit about, you know, that first job. Talk to me about what you were doing before you started your business. Yeah. So um, my very first job at 14, this was way back in the day. I don't think they can do it anymore. Uh, I think it would be 15 now, but um, was Chick-fil-A. <laughs> I uh, worked there. I believe they only let us work like 20 hours a week and it was only like really short shifts. But it was a really good experience, you know, to work, to see organization and really see the product of your labor, right? So I finally got to get money on my own. I think I was entering high school right after that. So I was able to get like my own cell phone, which, you know, for every teenager is super important. Um, but, you know, whenever my parents were behind on a bill, I was able to like dig into my own account. And that was nice to be able to help. 
that kind of stayed with me. After 14, I never, ever went without a job. I worked pretty much through college. I think I took only one semester off of working in college when I went to Georgia State. But yeah, I mean, it helped me become so independent. You know, um, I had to figure it out, had to learn finances and really make things work on my own, which is, you know, even though it was tough, it was one of the most valuable lessons ever. But after college, I actually went to go work at the Coca-Cola company. I left as an event coordinator, but I entered the company as an administrative assistant. Uh, I was there for about six years. And um, as the event coordinator, I would handle internal events uh, like routine team meetings, seminars, or even like hospitality programs, one of which I was able to do, which is one of my proudest moments. Um, I was able to go to the FIFA World Cup in Russia, in Moscow. So I was in Russia quite a bit in 2018 uh, doing that. And I, I definitely cried entering the stadium to watch the final match. It was an experience of a lifetime. That is such a cool experience. So, I mean, it sounds like you had a great job. You loved what you were doing. What made you decide to take the leap and start your own business? Oh, man. Um, so I always knew that I wanted to start my own business. That was always a dream of mine. I just didn't know exactly what it was that I wanted to do. I tried several things along the way. I thought it was going to be fashion and other things, but it was, I knew it had to be something that I was really, really, really passionate about, something that I was committed to and that I just loved and adored, right? So um, I actually started thinking about cafecito, the cafecito concept probably around late 2017. And it came about through just routine 3 p.m. coffees at Coca-Cola, actually, with a coworker and friend. We would go down to grab a cup of coffee, and we always talked about how it would have been nice, you know, with this really good quality cup of coffee to have a specific uh, Latin pastry or, you know, savory snack or something to join it because it's so ingrained in our culture. So I was like, you know what, you know, let me look around and see if I can find something like that, that, you know, caters to that part of us. And I could find nothing in Atlanta. So I started making a plan. I said, okay, let me do a little bit more research, see what that's about, learn the coffee industry. And I started making a plan once I realized there was an opportunity there. However, my plan didn't go through exactly as I foresaw. In November 2018, my grandfather passed away. And my initial plan was, you know, to start saving up, to sell my condo, move in with family and open Cafecito in 2020, this year, like end of this year. But after my grandfather passed away, it was just three months after my cousin had passed away. It just really, really hit me hard. Um, I didn't expect it to. And it just really put things into perspective for me. I think what I took away from that, just those emotions, was that time is non-refundable. No matter what I do, no matter how much I save, um, no matter how much success we may have, we don't get time back, nor can we buy it. So that December, following my grandfather's death, I put in my notice and I told Coke that it was the time for me to go to pursue something that, sorry, I get emotional still, um, pursue something that I really wanted my grandmothers to see. Um, so I left mid-January, and here I am. I haven't looked back since. That's a beautiful story. And I think when we talk to other founders, 
It is normally this idea of they saw a gap in the market and then they work to fill that gap, which sounds like that's what happened. But there's, of course, that other piece of truly finding that inspiration to take the leap into doing something that's so unknown. And while it's tragic how that inspiration came out, I just think it's so powerful to really honor the legacy of your grandpa and of your cousin to say, you know, here's my heritage and I'm going to go start a business that really represents that heritage and that culture. Exactly. So tell me about Cafecito then. What services do you provide? What makes you unique? Yeah, so Cafecito is exactly what you said. It takes um, that culture and that heritage that I consider my roots and I fuse it to make it my, I like to call it the representation of my lifestyle, which is Mexican roots with an American lifestyle. So that's in a beverage experience. That's what we provide. I take beverages, traditional beverages or snacks or traditional ingredients um, that we commonly use in Mexican households. And I fuse them with different things, be it coffee, ice, or other ingredients, um, just to make it a new thing. When I make my drinks, like I said, um, I see my life experience in them. It's not fully traditional because I didn't grow up in Mexico. I don't know what that experience is like. But, you know, I speak the language. Uh, Our holidays are celebrated here as well. Everything that we did growing up was still a part of our culture and our roots. So, yeah, when I hear my customers say that it reminds them of home or their childhood or something that their grandmother used to make, I know that I've done it right. That is kind of like my confirmation that what I'm doing is exactly what I had in mind. You know, I created this thing that speaks and caters directly to the Latin community that says, you know, look at us, look at our roots, look at our culture. You know, we can use those things and create something new, something new and beautiful. And we should be proud of that. You know, we should want to share that with everyone. And I put all those emotions and all those concepts into a drink or, you know, a pastry experience. So with the drinks and the pastries that you have, how do you find the recipes for these? Are these things that your family has cooked and created? Are you finding them from other sources? What does that look like? So um, the drinks I take, you know, like I said, it could be a traditional horchata, which is like a rice milk beverage. That's traditional. I keep that as is, but I add, you know, our signature is our cold brew. I'll add cold brew coffee to that, or I'll add espresso to make it a latte. You know, we have a hot uh, Mexican spiced coffee that I've turned into a cold brew. So I still take the traditional recipes, but I change it just a little and create something different, you know, that kind of adapts to, you know, this Latin community that may have grown up here, just like I did, you know, where our lifestyle isn't quite the same as our parents, if that makes sense. Absolutely. So, you know, you mentioned when you were working at Coke and how that's really where your idea came out because at three o'clock you wanted coffee, you wanted pastries and that didn't exist. Have you since then had some competitors that have sprouted up? Um, Not in the same manner that I have. I mean, you have um, a few other And, you know, this is part of my networking. I've met a few other, you know, new entrepreneurs that are, you know, in the Hispanic community. So you've got, um, you know, like the very Miami concept, like a Cuban coffee and a sandwich and things like that, that are kind of sprouting up. But to say there's another like Mexican coffee experience in Atlanta. No, not yet. Okay, that's great. 
So talk to me a little bit about the community in Atlanta. So you said you're doing some networking to meet other entrepreneurs. What does the business community look like in Atlanta? Are there certain standards or norms for successful entrepreneurs? Um, I think the community, the business community in Atlanta is actually very, very impressive. Um, When I look at the successful businesses or the businesses that I would like to emulate in some sort of way, um, I want to say that, you know, the standard for all of them for their success is that they are authentic and they know exactly who their community is. I think because Atlanta is such a hub for political movements and, you know, just history is here. It's so easy to just have that authenticity and know who it is that you're speaking to. So we have so much diversity in the business community here. It's quite beautiful. It's, you know, I don't want to compare it to New York because New York has its own energy, but, you know, just to see how much diversity is springing up in Atlanta is just really, really, really encouraging. Um, But, you know, you see all those businesses, how they bring different experiences that we now all have access to. Now we can learn about these things. And it's all thanks to that one entrepreneur who took a chance, who, you know, was authentic with their idea and created something new for all of us to exist. And I really, really want to emulate that as well. So there's, I've talked to a few entrepreneurs and founders in Atlanta, and I feel that's a really consistent message. It's not about having the cheapest product or the product that has chemicals in it so it'll last longer. It's about staying true to your roots, Mm -hmm. no matter what the circumstance is, and that's what will make you successful. So I just love that you have that message as well. Yes, I think you hit it right on the head. So- There's not a lot of people who I think wake up and say, I want to be an entrepreneur. You starting working at such a young age to help provide for your family and things like that. You know, did you think you were going to be an entrepreneur? Were your parents entrepreneurs or did you have this? Were you surrounded by entrepreneurs or was it a new concept for you? Um, so I was definitely surrounded by small business owners and I don't use the word entrepreneur for this reason. My dad my aunt and my uncle all have small businesses. My sister as well, and she's an entrepreneur. I would even say my grandmother, who always just worked for herself and found a way to make money. But you know, their concept of a business is pretty much just to supply their living funds, right? It's not this concept of I'm going to sit and put a business plan together. It's just it's what I work all day long to do and I get paid for it, you know? So they've created a job for themselves, but it's not viewed as a business. So when I think about entrepreneurship, my crazy imaging is almost what my dad did. So I knew it was going to consist of maybe, you know, working really, really hard, maybe from sunrise to sunset like he did, but it was also, you know, using my education, using my head to, you know, have that image of, you know, this is going to sound funny, but I think of like the Devil Wears Prada, you know, like the Miranda Priestly, you know, having the freedom of being the decision maker. And, you know, yes, a lot of hard work, but there's that level of success that I want to reach, right? And when I say decision maker, I don't just mean like in my business, I mean, just in life in general, it's not being tied to having to work from sunrise to sunset forever. That's not my goal, right? And I actually remember in seventh grade was when I decided what I wanted to do, and that was to be an international businesswoman. I was having a conversation with a friend right before band practice, and, you know, he was already telling me that he knew what his career was going to be. He knew what he was going to be when he grew up. 
And I was just like, oh my goodness, are we supposed to know already that we're only in seventh grade? You know, I was like, I don't really know what I want to do. I know that I love languages. I love learning languages. I love culture. And I really, really like business. I feel like business people are really successful. And he was like, oh, so you want to be an international businesswoman? And I kind of just looked at him and I was like, that sounds beautiful. That's exactly what I want to be. (laughs) (laughs) So seventh grade, I decided international business was what I was going to do. And that was literally when I went to Georgia State with my degree. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Um, so what was your dad's business? So my dad still owns a construction framing business. So it's very heavy work. Um, and it literally is still to this day, you know, almost 30 years, sunrise to sunset working. Wow. You know? Yeah. What about your sister? My sister is a makeup artist and she, um, works with a lot of the local celebrities here in Atlanta, actually. So she's very much an entrepreneur. She's got the vision and the hustle, like I like to say. Well, I just, I love what you said about what a typical entrepreneur might look like or what people think. And I think that's where there can be a lot of misconception in our world about what an entrepreneur looks like. And, you know, oftentimes when I'm talking to people, when they think about entrepreneurs, they're thinking about this powerful white man in Silicon Valley. And it's like, that's not the reality. There's entrepreneurs who are doing what they love and they just want to provide for their family. There's others who want to get rich and retire early. Like there's so many different variations of it. And it's just so important to really bring that concept out and really broaden what we think about with entrepreneurs. Yes. So you opened in August of 2019. So through this time, talk to me about some of the setbacks that you've faced in this journey so far. (laughs) I feel like that question is so loaded. Um, So as far as setbacks regarding the business, I would say my background just isn't one full of support, right? So I have had to figure out a lot of things on my own without anyone really guiding me. There wasn't a whole lot of mentors in my life, unfortunately. I went to college and college was really difficult because, you know, even getting into college, I was the person that had to pay for my own applications. Most of my friends' parents helped them do that or guide them at least. And my parents didn't even know what a college application was, right? So I paid for my own applications. I filed my own FAFSA. I even went on the campus tours on my own because it's what I wanted to do. So then you get to college and then you have to do college, right? And you have no reference of what college is like, how to maximize your experience, make sure that you're taking the right classes and you have this scope. And um, so I was having to figure all of that out. Then my junior year, I found out I was pregnant uh, and I kept going. I decided no matter how long it was going to take me, I was going to finish even with a baby. So I walked around campus with my swollen feet and my huge belly just knocking stuff down. And then I graduated when my son was two years old. And then the biggest challenge before that, that kind of really set me on the track that I am now was becoming a single mom because it wasn't my plan for my life. I had no idea that that was going to happen. And, you know, it was a really hard pill to swallow. I think that was the ultimate thing that kind of helped me see myself because I grew up in a religious household. So having a baby out of wedlock was bad. But then becoming a single mother was like the epitome of failure. So it took me a really, really, really long time to not see myself as a failure anymore and to like keep going. So while I was at Coke, 
you know, I feel like I use that experience to really prove to myself that I could keep going, I could keep moving up, and, and I did just that. Then, um, you know, I started making a plan because I feel like, you know, in order for you to be effective, you have to have a plan, you know, for the next step, which was opening Cafecito, and I did my research, and I did all of that, but then I took the leap, and, you know, all of my savings, the money that I earned from my condo, all of that went into starting everything, and I was off to a great start. We launched in August. Um, September, we had another pop-up. And by October, I had, you know, another small business who was offering me space. And it was all great. And then you get into it and you start learning all the things that, you know, you probably spent money on that you shouldn't have, um, all the things that you actually needed that you don't have, how much time it was going to consume. And then COVID happens. <laughs> And I was, what, let's see, October, November, December, January, February, March. So it was about six months in of starting to get a grip on my business. And this happens. And I have a little one who has really weak lungs. So I had to remove myself completely from the public until this was figured out. And I decided just to go into deliveries. But, you know, opening a business, not knowing the details that go into it and then being hit with a pandemic has been the experience of a lifetime for sure. When you were describing your sister earlier, you used the word hustle. And I think that's something that I keep thinking about is hustle and grit when I'm learning about your journey. And just from the very beginning, having to grow up early to help your parents and to provide for your family when they needed it, to going out on your own to college and having no experience or anyone to lean on, to starting your own business without a ton of support around you. I just really admire the journey that you've taken in learning how to be a single mother. Everything it sounds like in your life has been a new experience for you that you've had to sort of weave through and figure out. And I just think that there are so many times where you could have given up and just said, nope, this isn't for me. And you didn't. And I think that's what really makes you successful. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I had plenty of those opportunities where I considered, though, (laughs) but I kept going. (laughs) So with COVID, you've switched to deliveries. Um, Are you back open full service now? Not yet. So we are still uh, delivery only. And we are looking for a location or pop-up opportunities to start getting back out in you know limited spaces. So um, I'll be looking actually today and this weekend at a couple opportunities that have kind of come out of the woodworks to see if hopefully by August we can get back out so that people can at least pick up and not do full delivery only. Okay. So, you know, thinking ahead, hopefully, of post-pandemic, is it something that you are going to bring some of these new concepts, you're going to keep them into your business, or are you going to go back to how you were running things before COVID hit? No, I think I'm definitely going to keep them um, because I'm pretty much on my own doing it by myself. I've had to figure out ways to you know, make my recipes more efficient so that I could do them faster and get things out the door faster. Um, so definitely keeping that stuff the delivery part is, you know, it seems easy, but it's actually pretty loaded. Um, I had to figure out how to deliver these things without them spilling or the packaging or, you know, keeping them hot or cold. 
Um, so all those challenges are going to be great for when I do pop-ups, you know, I'm actually in the process of building like a coffee cart. So all of those things that I learned uh, while doing deliveries will be applied to, you know, the next steps, actually. So you are really doing everything. You are making the drinks, you are packaging everything up, and you are delivering it. Oh, yeah. Plus social media, plus financing, <laughs> every single thing. Wow. Did you have staff before COVID? I was actually in the process of hiring um, two baristas before COVID hit. Like I was training them, I think the weeks before they said, you know what, everyone just needs to quarantine. So everything was put on pause at that point. Well, fingers crossed that you can get those folks hired soon. So you have some help moving forward. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Definitely looking forward to that. So when we talk about the things that entrepreneurs and small business owners need to be successful. It's you need capital, you need technical assistance, and you need networks. And oftentimes that mm. network piece can be downplayed, but it is so important how having a strong mentor or someone in your network can really help you accelerate what you're doing. Oh my goodness. And I am a product of that. Every opportunity that has presented itself, even now, the ones that are popping up, has been because of you know the people who support cafecitos concept. You know, I have mentors who help me just, you know, hey, I heard about this loan or this way of, you know, getting capital or try this, or I know someone else who's doing this. I just wanted to put it on your plate. It has been so amazing and so, so helpful for me because, you know, we're still human. We can't do it all. So having that network of people who are thinking about you, who see something that may apply is so key in taking that next step or finding out that next thing that you may have access to that resource. So. Now that you've had some of this experience of being an entrepreneur, and I think it sounds like you've learned so much about how to make your own way throughout this entire process, is that something that you work to instill in your son now? Is that something you really hope and encourage him to be an entrepreneur? Yes and no. Uh, His dad fights me because his dad wants him to be a jujitsu loving engineer, but you know, (laughs) I'll leave that to them. Um, But I do teach him what it is to have a business. I don't tell him, oh, well, you have to have this one. But I do share with him everything that I do. Um, I've taken him on a couple delivery routes just for him to see, you know, what that looks like. We'll have discussions about how many deliveries did we have? How much did they pay? So he knows that, you know, that equals a sale. And, you know, how much did it cost us to make that? So he's immersed in it. He sees it. And, you know, he is very proud. He does love to see how it's progressed already. He connects the dots even. You know, I have a, a funny story where he and I went to um, a Starbucks for a snack. And this was right when Cafecito was starting. And it was during uh, the holidays and everything was decorated accordingly. And he looked around and he says, Mom, we have to make Cafecito look like Christmas, but we have to do it different, you know? And I was like, okay, well, what do you suggest? And he was like, let's make one of the drinks red or green. And, you know, he, he gets it, you know, he has the vision for it. Um, but at the end of the day, I'll let him decide if this is something that he wants to carry on or not, you know, when he's old enough and the time is appropriate. That's great. So besides just getting through COVID, uh, what's next for you on your journey? (laughs) Um, like I said, we are actually, um, moving towards a coffee cart. So that'll help us with, um, the pop-up opportunities around the city, which 
are really growing. Those opportunities have really presented themselves and um, a potential permanent location uh, that we'll go see today. We'll see if it's a good fit for us. And then, yeah, just continue to serve, you know, yummy cafecito to those who who want to try it. And um, yeah, just working our way towards a permanent brick and mortar and, and maybe even more than one. <laughs> I'm Crystal Valencia, founder of Cafecito Mexican Coffee Shop. I made my business in Atlanta, Georgia. In Crystal's own words, she's just a Mexican girl with a dream, a love for her culture, and a burning desire to leave a legacy behind for her son and to make her parents proud. Every entrepreneur has a defining moment when they decided to take the leap and finally start their own business. While Crystal's moment was tragic, I love how she took that tragedy and honors her heritage and her family within her business. I hope you enjoyed listening to Crystal's story. If you haven't already, please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. This podcast is powered by GoDaddy and made with the help of our producers at Human Group Media.